afternoon, everybody. It is Thursday afternoon, and it is now time for Inside the Eye Live Prime Time. Hey, Fetch. Hey, Fetch. Quiet, quiet. Go ahead. She's she's asking a question. Don't be rude. Don't be rude. Hey, Fetch. Did that woman really say you have garnets of steel and a mind like a freaking laser? Mary, you can't be asking questions like that. This is Inside the Eye Live Prime Time. Why not? Aren't we broadcasting from the Middle East? Well, yeah, but we might be seen as being politically incorrect. You know, the problem is everybody dumps people when there's a, like a sign of, of political incorrectness. Echan, you're always politically correct. Heck, thanks. Does, does that mean we can talk about dumping the Israelis tomorrow? I'm sure you will probably say quite a bit more than that. And now coming to you live from somewhere in the Middle East, this is Inside the Eye Live Primetime with your host, The Fetch. Good afternoon, good evening, and good morning to all those that are listening. My name is Woody. I've been on Dennis's show a few times. Uh, Dennis can't make it today, so I'm going to fill in for him at his request this morning. Dennis sends his apologies, but Again, due to the Internet issues he has had in the Philippines, he's not going to be able to broadcast for him this morning. Uh, unfortunately, they're doing some work that they're going to take the whole system down in the area that he lives to do the, do the maintenance work. So hopefully after this, everything will be solved and Dennis will be back on air. Again, my name is Woody. Uh, I'm a former and still uh, I do reporting. Uh, I do. I have several hats that I wear. I've been in the media business for quite some time. I worked in the movie industry. I work in the sports industry. Uh, I work quite a bit uh, around. I'm semi-retired now, so I don't work as much. Uh, but I have a little experience in the media. And so today we're going to talk about several things about the media. And one is, is that the media distracts. The media distracts for different reasons. The media distracts to change the attitude, to make another attitude or thought more prevalent. It's interesting that lately we had, we've had several events that have been in the news. We had the Walmart shooting. We had the shooting the day after in Ohio. And then we've had the Epstein case going in and out of the news around these shootings. And after all that, what do we end up with? Jeffrey Epstein committed suicide or was murdered. So what's the truth? We don't know. Because why? Because we're never told the truth. We don't get to hear the truth. Because the media controls the outlets. I'm going to give just a little personal history that I quit working for the media. It's not a big deal, but it's just a little bit of insight. I used to work for several media outlets as a producer, camera operator, going out shooting the events, uh, producing them, sometimes adding audio, doing interviews with uh, all the people that you see on some of those, especially the late night uh, around six o'clock when all those shows used to come on inside edition. And uh, there were so many of them, uh, but they, they were on the networks for quite some time. If they're still there, I don't know because I don't watch. Uh, but I used to work for them, and so I covered some interesting cases. But I also used to cover tornadoes. 
and I was on alert. And anytime an F5 or an F4 would take place within a couple of hundred miles, wherever I was at at the time, that I had clear passage to go to that location and do the coverage. As you know, an F5 is an extremely devastating tornado. And as someone that's been on site pretty soon, right after they happen, I can tell you that it's pretty amazing. And some of the things I've seen there, you know, you read about and you don't know if they really exist. Like in a hurricane, you'll see a board through a palm tree. Well, I saw a small branch go right through a two by four and was stuck through it. I saw pots and pans lined up on tree limbs and just sitting there. And I just, would somebody put them there? I don't know. But I, they certainly didn't put that tree limb in the same area right through that two by four that was there. But I was on call for a, uh, actually an F5 that no one died at, which is pretty amazing in itself. But I had lots of stories that I went around and talked to people about how they saved themselves and, you know, how everybody worked together and followed the rules, you know, that they had heard about taking cover, going to the proper locations. One couple uh, had gone to the bathroom and pulled their mattress off and put it over them in the bathtub and their whole house fell in on them. But yet the neighbors were able to dig them out. And when they got to them, they didn't have a scratch. So I had all these stories that I was going to that I'd recorded that was going to be shown AP. They go worldwide. After I send them in, they get, they get sent around the world. And so I went to get a, had to call in to tell them I had it to meet the uplink truck so I could send them the footage. Well, there was no power whatsoever in the area. And uh, so I had to drive quite a bit of ways out to a gas station to where I got to a payphone. Luckily they had a payphone. That tells you maybe how many years ago this was, but it wasn't that long ago, probably 2007 or so. And uh, so I called I called AP and I said, listen, I've got all these stories. And they said, well, where are you? And I said, well, I'm, you know, outside. Where haven't you called us? We've been trying to get you. I said, no cell phone coverage. They're all gone. The towers are completely gone. There's nothing standing within like five or ten miles of this city of towers. And, and I even had footage of uh, like water towers bent like a pretzel, but still standing. The legs going up were actually twisted around so that it was actually count cantered almost like in 45 degrees out where they should have been. That's how powerful they can be. Things full of water on top of that. So they, they said, well, we need you to go down to, do you know where the Jimmy Dean plant is? And I said, uh, not really. They said, well, it's it's down at the bridge at the river. And if you cross there, go down the street, turn left, it's the first street on your left, and go down there. I said, well, why do you want me to go down there? And they said, well, that's where the baby died. Yeah, big pause for me, too. Wow. They want me to go shoot where the baby died. So uh, that was, they didn't want the other fudge. They told me to throw it away. They weren't interested. So I drive down there. And network trucks, all the biggies there, Fox, NBC, ABC, everybody's there. And I'm meeting, I believe, the CNN uplink truck is where I was going to use to send my footage up. So I get out there, and it was pretty obvious where the house was where the baby died. And I will tell you, 
just how powerful an F5 can be. As I turned down the road, it the plant was on the right, way back up on the hill. On the left was a small subdivision of probably two to three bedroom ranch style houses that used to be there. I went past about 10 uh, slabs. There was nothing on the slabs. I mean, absolutely nothing. I mean, you just had some pipes sticking up. There was no furniture. There was nothing of the house left. And this goes all the way down to where we're about in the middle where I stopped where everybody was gathered around, which is where this child had passed. Well, I get out of the truck and I start looking around. And one thing I noticed, there was a big field back behind where these houses were. But I didn't see any debris in the field whatsoever. It was all gone. Everything was gone. You couldn't see anything. It was just a slab with stuff sticking out. And there was a, I believe it was a Fox reporter. Uh, there was a Fox reporter uh, that was walking around inside of where this house used to stand. And the parents were not there when this happened. The child was staying with its grandmother and her grandfather while they went out for some time alone. And when they returned home, this was what they walked into. They had no idea. And he saw the Fox reporter out there walking around on the inside. All of us stood clear. I mean, everybody. I'm talking, you take a house, and when there were enough reporters there, that it would circle the whole outside of the house. So while we're all standing there looking, we weren't going to intrude in that. And we knew a baby had died there. So the, uh, the Fox guy just sort of breaks loose and goes in there, and he's looking around. So I said, what are you looking for? He said, I'm just looking to see if I can find something left for the baby. Oh, man. You know, everybody wanted to deck the guy. And uh, he's well known. I'm not going to name him. And uh, the dad walked up, appeared. And to his credit, that father laid into him like you have never heard before. But I was so disappointed in the media. They didn't want to hear stories of how people survived and how to survive. They were, as the old saying goes, if it bleeds, it leads. And that's all they were interested in. So all they got from that cost them all that money for me to go up there and spend a day and drive back. All they got was some footage of like a blank pace, but they had no use for it. I covered another F5 and lots of people died there. And I talked to several people who had lost relatives or had survived just by the luck of God. They had standing in the right place and the whole place went away without them. Just standing there. The only thing that was left with the guy I was talking to was the refrigerator. And he credited the refrigerator for, for uh, uh, saving his life. It actually protected him when the, all the debris was hitting. Instead of it hitting him, it hit that refrigerator. But everything else was pretty much gone. The whole town was gone. One girl told me about her aunt was trying to push her, um, her, her sister with, had an elderly aunt. And her sister was trying to push her into a, uh, a, a little, it's more like a culvert that they had built for, cause they were known for tornadoes in the area. So they were trying to get inside this culvert, uh, that they had built. You had to crawl into it. And as she was pushing her aunt, the girl said that her sister was whisked away. They never found them. They never found any of these people that disappeared. But that was my last day that I decided I was going to be a reporter because I knew 
I'd already was knew what was going on. I'd been awoken for some time, as we like to say. But uh, so I'm just going to give you a little background. That's what I that's what I've done. And that's sort of what made me leave the media. It was a lot of other things. I mean, I know they lie. Uh, they and just to let you guys know, there is a Supreme Court case. The media is not going to tell you the truth. The media is not. They don't have to. So they'll tell you what they want. And it's been before the Supreme Court. Supreme Court ruled that they didn't have to tell you the truth. That actually an entertainment organization, basically. So it's entertainment. So that case, that case was challenged a few years later. And y'all might remember it. It was a few years ago. Y'all, you'll know I'm a little bit south now. And, uh, they took it to, they took it to court. And because I believe it was Fox, it changed their whole story that they were doing and, uh, and, and just completely flip flopped it. And so they took them to court and said, Hey, you, you, they can't do this. This is not what we turned in. This is our work. And they changed it. Well, they lost. They can do whatever they want to once you hand it to them. So just remember that when you're watching the news and that brings us to the, uh, what's going on right now in the shooting. In El Paso, we had a guy enter a store and we're shown a photograph. Now I looked at the photograph and I have a little bit of experience because I've been in that business for quite a while and going back to the days when it was early video cameras and setting up that stuff as I grew up. I grew up and I went through the whole studio system in LA. I learned to be, I was a basic grip when I was carrying sandbags, C stands, setting them up. I worked on the electrician side where I was an electrician, where I learned to handle the power, do everything through the power. And then I uh, became in both of those, there's the key grip and then there's the gaffer, which is the head electrician. I held both those positions. And then I went up and I, uh, became a, an assistant camera operator and you just like, there's like the second assistant where you sort of like hold that clapper thing out in front. And then you're the first assistant where you do cert, where you actually prepare everything for the camera operator and you actually pull the focus and, and do those things for the camera operator. And then you become a camera operator. And then if you get enough work and I got permission, people now will come out and hand you a card and he's got a light kit and uh, he's got a camera and he's a director of photography. Well, can you light a chase scene going down Hollywood Boulevard from the top of a building down there? And we're going five blocks. Can you light all that up? I doubt it. So anyway, that's my experience and that's where I've been. And I've sort of been down the rabbit hole, so to speak for quite some time. Well, almost 20 years now, probably a lot more. And I've been through a lot. I know about Scientology personally, and I might even talk about that a little bit later. Uh, by the way, Leah Rimini, who you may know from her show on Scientology is her last show is going to be here in August. And, uh, she's not being canceled. She, her and Mike have just evidently decided that they're not going to carry on with it anymore and they're going to work privately on the outside to help the children get out of Scientology before they get too deeply embedded in it. Scientology is more embedded than any people probably understand in this country and to certain agencies, most likely. Uh, they, they, uh, I'm not going to go there actually. Uh, so anyway, 
the media just now did the photograph for that guy. And they showed us this photograph, of this guy coming through the door. Well, it's why don't we ever see clear pictures? I just looked at a picture. They're looking for a guy that what they called a hero that they couldn't have. They're trying to identify. And he's like from the same camera angle or similar camera. And I can see his face and all pretty clearly. But yet when we look at this photo of the shooter, supposed shooter, the claim shooter, there's all kinds of herringbone and, and all kinds of stuff. And I looked at it and if you, this is the only picture I've seen. I've looked around trying to find better photos, but you know what's there? Nothing because it's so poor. You can't really make anything out. You can't really identify. And if you look at it and you see all the artifacts, the only thing that I can come up with is this is not even a print from the screen. This looks to be someone that is standing in front of a monitor or someone else's phone with the picture and taking a photo of an electronic image with a electronic camera. And it's not really in focus. And that's what's handed to us. These are all discrepancies, and that's what the media does these days. They cover and they provide discrepancies. That, Like the discrepancy, we've got 30, what's the shooting victims up to now? I believe it's 31. And then we have several other wounded still in the hospital on top of that. there was only, He used an AK-47. An AK-47 is a bit stronger than an AR-15 as they call assault weapons. Please don't use the term assault weapon. Don't let them get away with that use and abuse of the language. They're not assault weapons. They are firearms for protection. They're not used to assault. A human assaults people, not the firearm. The AK-47 magazine, go look it up, holds 30 rounds. I believe it's a 536. It's a pretty large round. So we've got 31 dead and we got wounded. The math does not compute. I have a friend that lives here in the United States. He, hey, Frank, he's an ex-Marine. Booyah, booyah. I'm not a Marine, but my friend is. And uh, he, uh, he was a scout sniper. Frank's going to know what that is. And he, we and I talked about this shooting because he is truly an expert. And he said there, he said, I'm not that good. Who can be that good? There's nobody that can be that good. Maybe in the movies where you take one bullet and put it through three people, right? But then you're going to miss. People are ducking, diving, you know, kill shots. Take, have to be in a certain area. But yet we had all these people killed by one gunman. But yet what we have, we had all those other gunmen in the beginning that were reported by other people wearing black shooting. But that disappeared. That was five minutes. If you, tw- if you always check the Twitter feeds and all the feeds early as soon as you see it, and then you'll see all this appearing, and then it disappears. Well, listen to this. So I go, went to check to see what's going on with the media and all these events we're seeing because we've had so many here in the last few days and uh, weeks, and it all seems to rally around Jeffrey Epstein because we had Jeffrey arrested 
And then we had the Walmart shooting to sort of cover and take away from that. And then we had one the next day. But the one the next day in Ohio just really went flat. We still are hearing about the one in El Paso. And the, and I believe it's up to 31 is what I just read, trying to trying to find it. But someone had done statistics on the amount of uh, media and the tweets following these events. And what they found was quite interesting. But is it a found or is it manipulated? And this is what's being reported. This is, these are the issues. What are we reading and how much is it, is it real and how much is manipulated to manipulate us? And I think we're going to have to agree probably quite a deal, quite a large amount of this is manipulated. So what they found was, let's just say after the after the, the shooting in, um, uh, let's go back to Sandy Hook. Sandy Hook, the media was filled, just completely overrun with tweets for several days, which was, which in the later comes on that is unusual. Then after about three or four or five days, it drops off to a half to a quarter of what's being reported. So all of a sudden, there's nobody's talking about it. And this was the point of this article. Nobody's talking about this stuff. Why is nobody talking about it? But we, I certainly know that most of us do talk about it. And we're and, and it's on the radio and it's on the underground, but it's not on showing up in mainstream 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 Twitter. OK, so that we go to let's go to the recent event. It was high, 79 percent, really way up there after El Paso. Now, after after three days, it was down to like 40. It was very it just dropped off. The, it just dropped off the site. Nobody was talking. And you go back to all events, Ohio, all the events. Uh, the only other thing was the one in Florida where at the uh, Parkland school shooting. That one stayed on for quite some time. It stayed on for like three or four days before it really, and then it just dropped off the face of the earth again. Nobody was talking about it. Well, we have to ask, is that reasonable? My mind is not, but we know Twitter is manipulating and that's probably how far this has gone back because their entertainment when it comes down to it, they don't have to tell us the truth. They can manipulate the truth. Nobody wants to talk about the fact that the news agencies would call them news. They're really not. They're just entertainment pieces pushing political agendas now. But nobody, we can't discuss it. Why can't we discuss it? Because we're shut off. I know myself that I have been completely shut down from researching. I was talking to Dennis Fetcho. And by the way, Dennis sends you his regards. And I want you all to know that Dennis is in the Philippines. And one of the first things that he got to have when he got there in the morning, you know what Dennis had for breakfast? Bacon and eggs. What'd you have the next day, Dennis? Bacon and eggs. What'd you have for lunch? Went down to the burger place, had a bacon wrapped burger. <laughs> so Dennis is in bacon heaven in the Philippines, it turns out. They have bacon on everything there, it seems. So, uh, Dennis, if you're looking, listening, uh, but you can't look because that camera's not on. Uh, hope all is going well. Here's the break. Be back after that break. We're going to go to Jeffrey Epstein eventually. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome to the Fetch, the show without the Fetch. 
I know he wish he was here and I wish he was here too. Uh, he called me early this morning and uh, asked me to fill in. Uh, at the time I wasn't feeling very well, but it, uh, it's, it's cleared up. So uh, I'm, I'm here trying to fill in for the fetch. I uh, haven't been on the radio in probably 40 years when I used to have a more of a, a rock and roll show. But uh, here I am, and I'm going to do my best to uh, give you some information because that's what I do. But I usually do it by different methods, by doing the video and then supplying some audio with it and uh, or even some maybe some movies you've seen. But uh, anyway, which are not, I'm not going to name. Uh, none of them dirty. <laughs> some people try to claim they are, uh, but they're not. Uh, anyway, uh, let's talk, let's talk again about the shootings and, and what happened immediately after it. Okay. So we had all the Twitter feeds and, and, and Facebook and everything was just bang, man, just everywhere going. Then all of a sudden within one to two days, traffic drops off to just nothing. Again, is this, and is that because people are questioning what happened or is it just natural? Probably some of both, but we don't know because they're, they're, they are, they are cutting us off from being able to search. I have, I, on Google, I got so shut down from my research and I, I do research and I feed it to other areas is what I do. I don't go on the air and have a show. I will like talk to hosts like Dennis or I go to other websites and I'll drop information there or join, join in a discussion where I have knowledge and I'll do it that way. So I'm not used to this format. So please excuse me uh, for my uh, hesitation. And if I, let's do a drinking game. Every time I, time I say, um, or, uh, take a drink. I guarantee you, you're going to be feeling really good by the time this is over. Anyway, um, this notice what happened after this. It, so we don't know what really happened to make all the tweets and everything and all the discussion just fall off. And, and that's, that's probably on purpose because they want us jumping from one thing to the next. So we don't pay attention. Most everybody out there is now going, duh, Woody. I'm going, yeah, well, yeah, it's duh, hopefully, but maybe some people it's not duh. And I'm going to try to reinforce that, you know, by saying these things because the statistics prove it out. And I got those statistics. I had to figure out something to talk about today. So um, I got those statistics just about an hour ago. I finally found them. So um, that's what's going on. But here's something else to listen to. Right after that happened, the gun control had spent. So they must have been ready to go. Or somebody's got a lot of cash because gun control spent two million dollars on ads right after the Walmart shooting. Two million of that two million. There's a group called Every Town for Gun Safety. It sounds so good, doesn't it? Every Town for Gun Safety. Well, they're, they're primarily financed by Michael Bloomberg, mayor of New York City, who also operated, uh, you know, we got that little, you know, Manhattan Correction Center that Epstein passed in. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, after that $2 million, he funded early town for every town for gun safety, according to this article, 900 
and $35 million, $35,000 out of that $2 million. Michael Bloomberg himself donated two, um, almost a million dollars, this article says, to every town for gun safety as their primary donor. That's a lot of money, and that's a lot of airtime. Incomparable to that, the NRA has spent – did I write this right? I believe it's – I wrote 14000 but I believe it's 140000 even if it's a fourteen thousand or one hundred and forty, that's peanuts in the media market. That that's not going to buy you a lot of airtime. So that was the response from the NRA. Now, I am a firearms owner and have been, and I believe in the Second Amendment, and I believe it's the only reason we're still here, and that's the reason we know who the Jews are trying to take that right away from us. Because we go look who owns the media. This is what got me. And I'll tell you a story. I was not awake. I used to work in Hollywood. I used to go to a friend's house that was my director of photography that I operated camera for. And he was Jewish, as most people are in Hollywood, running the stuff. And I used to go on Friday nights, and they used to do this ceremony on uh, and uh where they drank some wine at sundown and Shalom Shabbat or something like that. I don't know. I wasn't that interested. I, he was just a friend. Uh, I didn't know that much. I am not uh, Jewish. I have no Jewish relatives. Uh, I was already knew a little bit about, you know, where we all are now, but I didn't know very much. And, uh, and I didn't believe it. I didn't believe, I, did, I believe the Holocaust was uh, true. And uh, and all the little other myths that we now know about uh, are false. We've been lied to. And uh, so I was talking to our favorite host that I met from the show, and he challenged me to prove him wrong about the Holocaust. I said, you're on. Because, you know, Dennis was a nice guy. I didn't, I didn't know that much about it. You know, I was interested, but I just couldn't believe it. But I'm a pretty good researcher and sort of known for that in certain circles. And uh, I took it on. I will tell you a year and a half later, after going through, I can't tell you how much information that I searched and looked up and went through, thanks to a lot of really good researchers out there that have gone through this. And I nearly broke down and cried. I mean, I was going to cry, but I kept myself from doing it because I actually realized it was the greatest lie ever told, never, never exposed, whatever, because I could not prove it wrong. I couldn't. There was way too much information that was factual and using Occam's razor that it couldn't have happened the way they claimed. And that's what I held on to for a long time. Well, it may not have been six million, but, you know, surely there was, you know, this or that. And I but then I kept looking and I kept looking at the research that I see on all these sites now. And I had to admit to myself that what I was told and what we're taught and what is fed to us each and every day is false. It's completely fabricated in my opinion. I can't find any truth hardly in it at all. 
There is some, of course, there were camps. We all know that. But we also know now from facts there weren't any gas chambers found in any of the U.S. side. The only one supposedly found was on the Russian side. And they've been having to change the numbers on the plaques outside. We all know this. And it's, on, it's, it's, it's obvious. But you're not allowed to talk about it. And that's that's really what the upsetting part about this is, is that we're not even allowed to mention it. And I will tell you, do I believe in Trump? No. But is Trump the only way that's going to buy us some time to maybe find another way out of this? Yes, because the other choice is socialism. And I will tell you that socialism is something that we cannot survive. And the first thing, that's why these things are happening. They want the guns. And that's why it says shall not be infringed. And that word shall is very, very important. It doesn't say will not be infringed. It says shall not be infringed. And so Dennis is the word master. And I actually, Dennis, have started trying to decode it. Not getting too far yet, but I'm pretty sure I'll find it eventually. Uh, but anyway, uh, shall is a verb, of course. But what shall is a reference to is something in the future. Shall means you can't change this in the future. Shall not be infringed in the future, period. You can't do it. It's a constitutional thing. Shall. You got all these guys out there, lawyers, trying to tell us what is or is might not mean. And they're now trying to tell us that shall can have different meanings or this or that and this because this judge ruled this way and that judge ruled this way. Well, the judicial system, as we all know, is just a closed circle. How it got organized, we don't understand. All we know is it happened after the Civil War. The Civil War changed a lot of things. The Civil War was the start of the downfall of this country in more ways than most people realize. I know some of you don't like Dr. Steve Pachinik. Uh, I'm not really a big fan of Dr. Pachinik either, but I do respect him and I know what he's done. And do I believe him? Some things. Do I not believe him on some things? Probably because I know what he is. I know what his job is. I know who he is. Not personally. I have had some correspondence with him, but only on a friendly basis. And uh, and so uh, not much at that. Very brief. Uh, so Dr. Pachinik did a, did a video on uh, Abraham Lincoln and he talks about Abraham. You know, he, Dr. Pachinik says he was gay. He had Marfan's, Marfan's disease, the one because that's why his hands were so big, and and several other things. So, and he and he agrees. Uh, and then Lincoln is the one that uh, started how the basically what has become BLM started, Bureau of Land Management. The Bureau of Land Management took over. Basically, it was called something else under Lincoln. Lincoln needed money to pay for the Civil War. So what happened is, is that uh, Nevada wanted into the Union, but they didn't have enough people there. And certain other things you had to be allowed. To, there was a process to be allowed in and Nevada didn't qualify. So what Lincoln offered them was this. He said, OK, listen, we can sort of overlook all this. Neat, neat, nod, nod. Um, you've got some silver mines there. 
I need some money. We need to pay for this civil war. So here's the deal. Right here where Las Vegas is and a couple of other little cities here in Nevada, that's Nevada. That's your land. That's yours. All the rest of that land where those silver mines and everything are, that belongs to the United States government. And they agreed to it. So if you go down and look at the, at the map of Bureau of Land Management, everything west of the Mississippi is damn near red, which says it's under BLM control. Now, they lease it out, you know, and all that other stuff. But it's under BLM control. And why that is illegal was because I believe it's called the Northwest Territories Agreement. And the Northwest Territories Agreement, it laid out the process for admitting states after the original 13 colonies were admitted. In that agreement, it said that everybody coming in had to come in on the same footing that the original 13 colonies did. Well, the original footing is, goes back to the Constitution of what land is the United States government allowed to own in a state outside of Washington, D.C. It's basically an army base, post office, uh, so a federal building, not much, very little. They're not allowed to own land. They sort of started doing it with the state parks, <coughs> which may or may not. You know, it's, it's on the edge. I'm not going to discuss that. Uh, but they took over. And so if you go look at that land, and you can Google it, BL, do, Google a map of BLM, Bureau of Land Management, and look at its land coverage in the United States. You'll see it's almost red west of the Mississippi. Uh, Tahoe and all those great mountains and all, they basically have taken control of all the resources is what they've done. And that's, and that's how they're, that's, that's how they're controlling it. So those of y'all that live west of the Mississippi, uh, you should take a close look at your state and, and, and what's around you so you know that. And that's going to come into a, a little thing that I discovered and people have talked about that has to do with the United States flag. We all know about the United States flag and it's got fringe on it and it doesn't have fringe on it and it means this and it means that. Well, I finally took that challenge on one about two years ago. And I decided I was going to find out what the heck's going on with all this fringe and flag stuff. What's real, what's not real. I'm just going to give you a basic synopsis because I can't find my notes from probably it's a lot of notes. It's a lot of articles. I uh, did a lot of research. And I found the answers basically in the military code is where I found the answers to all these questions about fringe and the flags. The United States used to have actually different flags. We know we've been through. We got the original one, supposedly, from Betsy Ross and the 13 stars and this and that. And they grew in mad stars. But we also had flags for representing trade ships and everything else. And there were all kinds of flags that used to represent if you were a trade ship and you were from the United States and they flew this flag. And it all had meaning about taxes and uh, ports and all this stuff. Because we all, it's maritime law. So it was sort of separated. Well, those flags and all that stuff is now gone, are all gone. We're now basically left with two flags. Did I bet you, do you know that? There are two flags you see getting flown. You mostly see the military flag being flown. Everywhere you go, and I watch, and I watch on stage when some of these candidates come on to see what flag's behind them. 
for a hint, Obama at first had the original, has the U.S. G-Spec flag behind him, and then it changed to the military flag. Okay? I watched that happen because I was watching the flags. Because here's the difference. There is There are two flags. One is called the is now called the what's the G spec flag G hyphen spec. If you're a United States citizen, quote patriot or whatever, you want to fly. If you're going to fly an American flag, you want to fly the G spec flag, and it has a different ratio in its fly and its height, which means the width going from bottom to the top, and the fly the length. That aspect ratio of the width and the height is different from the military flag that you see in everybody sells. That's a military flag. And its ratio is three by five units, three units by five units. I'd have to go look up the, uh, uh, the one for the G spec flag because it's a little odd. I think it's nine by Nine by, I can't remember. It's, it's, it's six. It's, it's, it's longer, much longer than the three by five. It's, uh, it's, it's certain units high by certain units. So it's longer. And you can tell by looking at it, if they're side by side, the G spec flag is much longer. If it was flying, the three by five is going to appear shorter in its fly. The G spec flag, by the way, is flown on Sunday on naval vessels. And on certain uh, military days, just to let you know, it's flown there for a reason. And the G-Spec flag represents, and that's the flag that flies over the Capitol, and I believe in, in the Capitol and um, over the House and the Senate, because that's the flag that actually represents the United States government, so to speak, or whatever's left of it, and uh, and our rights and our Constitution. And how it was developed. And then the military flag is built to military specifications. And you can find it in the military code. And so when you go look it up, it talks about the three by five. And that's it. It does mention in one place, and this is an unusual, I believe it's there, but I I found this one unusual notation in one place about the United States flag. The three by five flag. And if, if you walk into a room and that three by five flag is flying and they use the courtroom as an example, you go in a courtroom, that three by five flag is flying. It's not flying a G-spec. It's flying a three by five military flag. You go into a corporate room. It's flying a three by five military flag and it has fringe on it. And I'll get to that in a second. And I'll tell you what that means in military code. When that happens, You're basically, according to the flag law, under military law. Now, you understand how the courtrooms are run and why they're run the way they are and the way the judicial system's run and how it's centrally controlled. Who gave the bar control of our law system? Who did it? Abraham Lincoln and stuff that happened after that. There's your answer. And we can go back to, you know, Mr. Pike. And it's funny. (laughs) I'm going to give away a little bit of personal information here, but only a good guy would find it. Uh, I went to a school that I graduated from that originally started in a city 
that was an elementary school. And then from there, it grew out from elementary schools on the way up through the high school with the same name. But its original name was the Albert Pike Elementary School. <laughs> and I just sort of fell back after that because uh, Albert Pike used to live in the city that I used to live in and ran the newspaper there. It was called the Commercial Appeal. It's in Memphis. And, uh, of course, he worked with uh, uh, General Forrest, and they helped form the Ku Klux Klan. But all you uh, – hey, listen, I'm not against masonry. I know a lot about it. I'm with Fetch on this stuff. Okay, we Fitch and I sort of know each other because of the code that Fitch discusses. And I sort of saw it in a way that was different from Dennis. But Dennis sort of saved my life because I was writing about it like he was. And, man, I was getting attacked and I didn't understand why. <laughs> and after I found Dennis and started reading his much more involved work than I had done, I went, oh, my God. This is the reason. Holy moly. And those of you who have not taken the time to do that, I sincerely hope you take the time because it will hopefully uh, you will understand how deep this rabbit hole goes. And it goes deep. It's very involved. Anyway, so back to the flags. So you have a G-Spec flag and you have the uh, United States flag is G-spec and the military flag. Why the fringe is there is that fringe is required on in a, in a military court when it's held inside, and I believe I've got this right from memory, it's a court-martial court. So fringe is flown when they're trying somebody inside, and that's usually where you see the fringe, but it's a court-martial. So the person appearing before it is basically there being court-martialed, so to speak. You're under court-martial law and the rulings and procedures. Military code law is a completely different set of uh, rules and procedures in law than what our system is that we see in the courtroom. Now, I have studied the law a little bit. I've taken some online courses. There's a guy you see that offers it. It's a few hundred bucks. Uh, I did it. I don't sell it on any of my sites. I do use it, and I will tell you, I went into that course thinking, oh, well, here's just another couple of hundred dollars. It's not going to be very worthwhile, this and that. Well, I changed my mind. I don't think that at all. Um, I, thought, I found it very helpful to me in my in, in my daily life and looking at things and understanding what I'm seeing and rulings and how it's happening and what's right and what's wrong. Because what they teach you in law school and they charge you all this money and it's closed, but it's just procedure is how to talk to the judge, how to fill out the paperwork, how to communicate. They don't teach you how to argue cases or all that. You've got to learn that when you go out. Yeah, they have some moot court cases and all that stuff where you get to practice but it's it's not uh, it's not very helpful so what you're going to do is you're going to learn and i'm not trying to sell it i'm just saying everybody today needs to go out and learn a little bit about the law and that course it really helped me you can go pro se in a small claims for sure if you study it here comes the break i'll be back and we're going to go into if you're still here we're going to go into all a little bit of jeffrey epstein what i found Welcome back, everybody, to Inside the Isle Prime Time. Uh, just to, real briefly here to finish up with the flag. So it's a G-spec ratio, which is longer fly than the 
military flag, which you find everywhere. When you see those in the yards and all those little sticks they hand you out, those are military flags. And that stands for military law, basically, if you're talking law. And I said, you know, that the systems are different, of course, in military. I've never been under a military court, but I do know people that have. And so here's what one of them said to me one time. He said, okay, you've got in our judicial system, you've got lawyers in what we call our civil courts and criminal courts. And lawyers win or lose, he said, right? You know, this or that. And, you know, one side's got more money, you know, than the other. And generally, that's the way that happens. Well, that doesn't really take effect in a military court. He said, if you ever meet a JAG officer, which is, the, you know, the prosecutors in military courts, ask him how many, ask him how many cases he's lost. You understand? Ask him how many cases a JAG prosecutor has lost. Probably not very many, if any at all. And so when you're there and you're, and you're proudly waving that little flag, I just want you to understand what you're doing. I fly a G-spec yard in my front yard. I fly the flag of the United States. I do not fly the military flag because to do so puts my property according to what I have read, under military jurisdiction. But it had a footnote, and that footnote was this, and whether it's true or not, I can't tell you. But the, all the research I did was pretty good from good sources. And this would have to be tested, but I don't think anybody's ever tested it. But the footnote said this. Well, it wasn't really a footnote. It was a you know, little extra thing about it. According to, and I guess it's military law, that if you, um, let's just say uh, you're in a place and somebody and it's a, uh, it's flying a military flag and you walk into that place flying that military flag and you walk in with your G-spec government flag representing the Constitution and our rights and everything that we function, supposedly function under. That flag is superior to the military flag. And basically they said that the judge would probably flee the courtroom. We've heard about those instances. I'm not telling anybody that's going to work or that's what, that's what's going to happen. I'm just telling you what I found while researching all this. And I found it highly interesting that that is. And I'll give you another example, maybe that you might need to know that knowledge. And this is, this is probably. <laughs> Let's say that you are out somewhere, you're in another country, or you could be in the United States. Let's just say, for whatever reason, you need sanctuary. You don't care where it is, but you need sanctuary. And you're looking up, and you see a place flying an American flag. Should you go there or not? Because here's the deal. If, what if you look up and you see two places flying an American flag? Do you know the difference? Maybe one's the place you should go and the other one's the place you should avoid. And which is it? Here's the answer. The place flying the military flag, three by five, is, of course, a military base most likely. Probably so, of some sort. 
the one flying the G-Spec flag will be your embassy. Which one should you go to? Because the military bases ain't going to let you on. You're running the wrong way. You're probably running the wrong way every time you run toward that flag anyway in a certain sense. I'm not against the military. But we're citizens. We don't need to be under military law. And we've all, and that sort of fits back into this thing where we talk about after the Civil War, military, you know, martial law was never disclosed. By the way, it's Marshall, M-A-R-T-I-L. It's not Marshall, M-A-R-S-H-A-L. Marshall actually, um, the footwork, I had a friend do this. I study martial arts and uh, certain aspects of them, uh, Jeet Kune Do, uh, uh, all aspects of that. Jeet Kune Do concepts. I'm now studying Paquita Tertia. Uh, the system of the recon marines in uh, the Philippines, and it's also taught most of our special forces. Uh, and I recommend anybody out there that you can find a Paquita Tertia or any Kali, K-A-L-I school, to attend. Um, it's what you need to know. Forget about not putting down any other martial art, but I'm telling you, um, this is where you need to go if you wish to learn how to defend yourself properly and with force. And with attitude. So uh, anyway, so you want to go, you want to, you want to understand the difference between where you're at when you see these flags flying and what it means. And that's why I fly a flag in my front yard that says that this is, this property is under the protection of that, of that flag. Okay. So that's why I fly. Will it work or not? Probably not. (laughs) But at least you know the difference now. So anyway, let's move on to a little bit talking about Jeffrey Epstein or Epstein or however he calls himself. But he's been in the news and actually a lot of talk was about distractions. Jeffrey Epstein all of a sudden gets arrested and then things start happening. And then we start having all these events start going on to distract us from Jeffrey Epstein. And what happens? We have an event. And then all of a sudden, here we go, we got Jeffrey uh, tried to commit suicide. Or was it that his cellmate tried to kill him? We don't know. We don't know. We don't have any information of what really happened. We don't know about that. I'm going to give something, some things you may not know about that that maybe may help you make a more informed opinion. And then we had all these shootings and all these other things that we see happening. Then wake up, whoop, Jeffrey committed suicide. Did it? Didn't do it? Is he still alive? Still he dead? Who knows? Well, here's the thing about Jeffrey Epstein. Jeffrey has a long, long history. And if you go look up Jeffrey Epstein and you research Jeffrey, you're going to find a very unusual man. He's very smart, it turns out. He's extremely smart. And he was, he was uh, he's also a very big fan of music, and he was a pianist. And he started playing, I believe, when he was five years old, if I recall correctly. But Jeffrey Epstein, though, had other appetites, as we all know, and grew into them. But he also is Jewish, and the people that he actually, you know, worked with and grew up with and his mentors and all the companies he worked for, Helped him along because if he was Jewish and we know everybody Jewish helps everybody else Jewish. It's just part of the tribe. So here we go. 
with Jeffrey Epstein. I'm not going to go through his whole. It, it goes. It, it's pages. It's pages and pages of this man's life of what he's done. But I'm going to try and hit some of the bigger things that and people that he knew and that he worked for. Does the name Khashoggi mean anything to you? The guy that was dismembered in Saudi Arabia. Well, he knew Khashoggi. In fact, I believe he and Khashoggi used to, you know, let's just say probably had some weapons trafficking stuff that he used to do working with other agencies and everything. And Jeffrey was sort of associated with him. Jeffrey was associated with, jeez, uh, let me get back down here. Let's see. Prince Andrew, Woody Allen, Ahud Barak, Tony Blair, Mohammed bin Salman, Kevin Spacey, Chris Tucker. <laughs> I, know, I don't actually know Chris Tucker, but I worked on one of his movies. Uh, and, you know, so he goes back and he worked in all these financial bear stirs. He started off there. He grew. He worked with one of the largest. Uh, he worked with a man and they opened up a company that basically turned out to be a pyramid scheme. And Jeffrey left before it collapsed. But I believe it was the largest pyramid scheme ever to collapse. And Jeffrey was part of that. So Jeffrey ran with a lot of big name people. We all know that now. But he was very involved with some financial dealings with it. Now, everybody was saying he was a billionaire. And, of course, you know, those who knew knew that he wasn't a billionaire. You know, he was a millionaire, but he wasn't a billionaire. And he wasn't as rich as people thought he was. So Jeffrey had lots and lots of connections, and they're real connections. I mean, we got to go to his girlfriend, his mentor, his madam, whoever she may be. Who knows? <clears throat> it's all speculation till it's in court. But just laying Maxwell. Maxwell, Robert Maxwell's daughter. We all know Robert Maxwell was, you know, worked for several different agencies. He was either a, he was a double, triple spy, you know, working for everybody. And then he was, <clears throat> Mossad has basically claimed to have uh, helped drown him. If he, I think he said he wanted to drown himself, so they helped out. So, you know, his connections run very, very deep. There are a lot of people that don't want Jeffrey to talk. We all know that. That's I'm not I'm I'm talking to a very intelligent audience out there. So let's go back and let's look at what happened with Jeffrey. And this is a thing I haven't heard anybody ask, but so let's ask it now. <coughs> Jeffrey flew back in to New Jersey at the airport. It's pretty I think it's pretty well known that Jeffrey had been alerted that he was going to be arrested when he landed. So why did Jeffrey fly back into the United States? I mean, why would he do this? Why did Jeffrey Epstein land in New Jersey? And why did he go to New Jersey? Why did he land in New Jersey? He landed in New Jersey, and he's immediately arrested. But yet he knew this was going to happen, according to sources. Who those sources are, we really don't know, but that's what they've been saying, and I don't see it being published anywhere. 
except for a certain sites that I go to and certain people talk. So, you know, I don't understand uh, why this has not been discussed and why brought out. Well, maybe they don't want it brought out. And that's the reason, because that brings up that question. Why did he come back? Why did Jeffrey Epstein come back to the United States knowing this was hanging over his head? Why did he come back? So let's go to what happened after Jeffrey arrived and he's arrested. Jeffrey, I'm going to go just go to some stuff and I'm working off memory. I've got like five pages of notes here of all this stuff. And I'm going to try and work from memory because it's 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 very disjointed because everything's happening on different timelines. But Jeffrey, so Jeffrey goes to court and he thinks he's probably going to get off on bail. So he comes in the United States and he also probably he thinks he's going to also just going to get bail and, and walk. And just go do his stuff. But that doesn't happen. Jeffrey's jailed and denied bail. He didn't think that was happening, going to happen according to what I'm reading from what reports say and certain things that his lawyers are saying. He, they, in fact, some of his lawyers sort of said he was, he's at, he was acting delusional about a lot of this. Because even when Jeffrey was jailed, and in jail, his lawyers are saying that, you know, oh, he, you know, he's, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's OK. We've got this thing in front of the thing for double jeopardy. They're going to have to throw this whole thing out for double jeopardy from his case in Florida. They can't try you twice the double jeopardy. The lawyers are like, oh, Jeffrey, uh, you know, I'm not really sure you're really reading this right. You need to rethink this. He's thinking this, and this is not an unintelligent man, and that's why I brought this up. Jeffrey was pretty smart. I mean, he started taking, he was teaching physics and, and things when he first got out of college and some, in some schools before he started his, and that's how he got his, uh, his start into the financial sector and was able to work his way up in some of those high finance things. Uh, I have a background in banking, not as a banker. I worked in a different department. But uh, but I was very involved in preparing some of some stuff for some very high level bankers, and uh, you got to know your stuff, and you have to understand it. It's complicated. In fact, I used to work with a woman that was considered the uh, most smartest, uh, unknown, most important person on Wall Street. And uh, she actually she left the bank, and for a reason, she started doing uh, uh, the stuff that uh, where you finance, and all the banks lost banks lost all the money a while, and they're still out there making you're splitting pennies, basically what you're doing forever. You know that's their system. You can keep how many dots are there between an inch? You know it's an unlimited number. So this is now our financial system. You keep splitting it, so you can never ever reach the other end. Uh, and so anyway, she was starting that stuff and she started with another guy. He was Jewish at the bank, you know, nice guy. Listen, I worked with, you know, nice guy. And, uh, anyway, the bank lost a shitload. I mean, sorry, lost a lot of money, a lot of money. And, uh, they let her go. Well, the next time I saw her, <laughs> I was watching a financial news network and there she's sitting next to Bernanke <laughs> in a big meeting. And I'm like, ah, Sue, 
there you are. That's where you landed. Well, you certainly landed on your feet. <laughs> You're working directly for the Bernanke. And so these people, you know, they, 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 it's, it's a club. And like he said, we're not part of it. So we have to arm ourselves with knowledge and see it coming. That's the problem. You got to see it coming. You got to listen to that, get the insight, listen to it, listen to that little voice that sort of speaks to you sometimes or all the time. I try to listen to it most of the time and it, and it'll generally not lead you the wrong way, but you have to understand it. And that's why having an understanding of the law system that you're under in the United States, our judicial system, it's a closed system run by the bar. How did that happen? Right? Listen, you know, John Adams, I gave John Adams, our was he second or third president. Anyway, John Adams, I didn't used to like until I read his biography novel. And John Adams, uh, some may or may not know, there was a massacre of uh, some people in an uprising in the colonies during the war. And uh, a, Brit a British ship and its captain were part of it. And they put, and the people put the British ship's captain on trial. And basically it was going to be a monkey trial. And they were going to just hang him or whatever they were going to do, keel haul him. Who knows? But anyway, it was, they, they were going to kill this guy and all the other soldiers that they had captured that they didn't kill. Well, nobody would defend them in their court system because they had a court system set up. And they had lawyers and everything, but you didn't have to be a member of the bar. You had to have an understanding of the law. And if you had an understanding, then the guy wanted you, you could be his lawyer. So John Adams was actually a lawyer, called himself a lawyer. And, you know, and, and it's gone and studied the law. So he was ex he had some expertise in it and he knew the rules. And that's the key is knowing the rules. And because all systems have rules. Every game has rule. I'm a soccer referee. <laughs> and it's got rules. But you know what? I get to decide what those rules are when we're playing. And it leads to a lot of confusion. But there are rules. And that's why you have all these arguments. And I can either accept that and say, trifling, that, that push didn't matter, or not decide. If I decided every time somebody pushed somebody on the field, we'd never get the game going. We'd be blowing the whistle, stopping it. So there are things that get by in all systems, but you have to understand the basic laws of the game and of the legal system. So John Adams took that, John Adams took that case and the people were really, really mad at him. And, uh, so he defended the guy and he used the rules. And he was up against a bunch of people that really wanted these guys dead. And we had a jury. They had a jury. John Adams won that case and saved that crew from being hanged. I'll just go ahead and say it that way. He saved them from being hanged. Right? Wrong? I'm not going to make that judgment. But John Adams believed in the law. And that they deserved a fair trial before their peers back then, which is really what it was. And these were people that, you know, didn't like him at all. They were totally against the British. But yet he was able. He was that good. And he used the law not to just get them off, because I don't think that was his case. 
but he want, he he thought that they were being unjustly being forced to be hanged. They didn't deserve to be hanged was the deal. So they were just held in prison and I guess they were released after the war was over. Well, William Barr, everybody knows, was involved in the case at Ruby Ridge. And most of you probably know that William Barr defended the sniper that took out the baby and his wife. And people really, really are mad at William Barr and use that against him. However, I do not, because that really is what a lawyer is supposed to do, is defend people, even though to the best of your ability with the law. Did Barr, did Barr do that? Was that Barr's thing? Was he put in there to maybe be uh, a wild card to make sure it happened that way? I can't answer that question. But I'm not going to hold it against William Barr for doing his job. And, when, and I think that when we're in this fight that we're in with this system that's trying to take us over, which is basically uh, a communist system, and we have two communist systems to look at. We've got Russian communism. We have red Chinese communism. Hillary Clinton used to use the, used to wear the Mao dress jacket all the time, used to wear a red one. Who do all these people on Wall Street that are trying to now – run this country and transfer all our jobs over to and everybody, which system are they sending this stuff to? The communist system in, in, in Russia is pretty much it's there, but it's not there. We know who runs it left over, who the bankers are in Russia. We know the Jewish oligarchy is still there and running part of that country and Putin has to deal with it. We also know that everything that in this country with all that, with, with Google and all these other people, it's going to China. China socialism. China. Who's our enemy? Who do they keep saying is our is the real enemy? They point the they peak, they point the finger at Russia. Always Russia, 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 Russia. We've got two socialist systems that would love to take this country over. We don't want either one of them. But the one we're fighting, to me and to most people that look at it, is the red Chinese. <laughs> They're not our friends. Be back after the break. Welcome back, everybody, to Inside the Eye Live Prime Time. This is Woody filling in for the fetch who, unfortunately, was not able to make Internet connections because his system is completely down. So I'm doing the best I can here. He called me early this morning, and here I am. So let's get back to what I said about the Red Chinese, and then I'll move on to a little bit about Epstein. Uh, the Red Chinese, uh, of course, we know it's all in the news with Trump and everything and this battle going underway. But um, I sort of find I sort of I follow the financial stuff also. And I, and it's been a lot of the stuff in the media. Oh, we're going to recession. We're going to recession. You know, and at first I bought it, too, because, you know, a yield curve is inverting and all this stuff. And that's pretty much a sign. And then I said, well, you know. I need to go maybe look a little deeper in this because this is the mainstream media news that's making this claim. And we've got to remember who is the mainstream media and why are they saying this and what's their purpose and is it true? Okay, probably not. We're headed for a recession. If you go look, it turns out that we just had an increase in uh, consumer spending. Well, we're going to a recession while our consumers out there and why spending up. 
So it doesn't fit. What it is 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 the people in what there's Wall Street and there's Main Street. Main Street is us. We're the people that run this, live in this country, buy in this country, and spend the money in this country. Wall Street is the are the people trying to take our money. They are the ones that are putting these headlines out there. So the Wall Street is trying to scare everybody. And you'll see this go on and off. And actually, most of you are probably becoming desensitized to it because their game is getting old. They only have their they're just, you know, they're one trick ponies. Pretty much. They got a few little tricks and that's all they've got. So that they keep using them and using them and they usually work. But hang on a second. Sorry, folks. So any, hold him seven. Anyway, so here we go. Uh, so they usually work, but it's, it's not working right now. And, um, and, and not really. It's just a scare tactic to, uh, once again, uh, now once we get closer to the election, yeah, maybe we're going to see, we're going to see probably most lot because I'm not going to argue Trump this or that. My question is, you know, if you go for the socialist, if you go for whoever the Democratic Party is, then, then you're just asking, why don't you just go out and put a bullet in your head or just go put yourself in a cell? I took, I, my thought is this, is that Trump is just in a way buying us time. Yes. It's not what we want. It's not, and he's disappointed people. And actually, I think he's disappointed the people, the white hats, so to speak, that work to put him in there. So, you know, but maybe there's a, any, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. So anyway, so here we've got this and it's something everybody needs to think about as this election comes and say, well, I'm not going to vote. And I'm, Hey Frank, I'm talking to you. So anyway, listen, you know, Frank, and by the way, when you mentioned the fact that you took up that mountain training, <laughs> not every Marine gets to do that, dude. And anyway, uh, so, uh, congratulations, Frank, by the way. And anyway, uh, so back to the, Back to Epstein. I'm just going to go to Jeffrey because the last 30 minutes, because Jeffrey's case has gotten very woven. So he came in, he gets arrested. He thinks he's going to get bail, according to his attorneys, but he doesn't get bail. So they put him in prison. So he's sitting in prison. And the next thing we know, we hear he's tried to hang himself. Okay. So, but then we hear that it was his cellmate that tried to strangle him. Okay, part two. Then we hear from his attorney, from the guy that tried to strangle him, uh, that was claimed to have tried to strangle him in the news media. His name is Nicholas Tartacaleoni. Nicholas Tartacoloni, and he is in jail. He's a former police officer. He's in jail, and he's up on murder charges for four drug-related deaths. So reading between the lines, it looks like Mr. Tartacoloni took out some, uh, maybe some drug guys, one of the drug deal going bad he was working with. Who knows? But anyway, he's no longer a police officer. He was. 
but he's on trial for four people that died. I'm assuming that they're claiming that he is the perpetrator. So that's who they put him in the cell with. So now we find out that, you know, we get this big headline. Jeffrey is uh, in jail and tried to commit suicide. And they were told, no, his cellmate tried to kill him. So then I go look this, I go look a little, I go looking around trying to find some more information. And I found this. According to Mr. Tartagalone's lawyers, uh, Epstein, he says, Epstein, we've told that Epstein told his lawyers that Mr. Tartagalone roughed him up. And, but yet, Mr. Taglioni denies this, and when Mr. Taglioni's lawyers was talking to Epstein's lawyers, Mr. Taglioni's lawyer says they never brought up the fact that Jeffrey had claimed that Taglioni was the one that tried to, was roughing him up. Well, that's unusual, and we haven't ever really heard of a statement from Epstein's lawyers that that happened. So we're getting all these different stories, right? So so follow along. So what happens next? So now we're told that he's put on suicide watch. Jeffrey's put on suicide watch. And Tarleone is moved to another cell. So he's in there. So Jeffrey now is alone in the same cell, evidently. So... That cell has got with it will fit two. Immediately after this happened, some sites had people that used to work there and other people that have been there and seen this, and this seems to be the way those cells work. Basically, every guy that worked there or been there and knows the system there said there is nothing to tie off to. There's nothing on the ceiling. And those beds are positioned so that there's no way to tie anything off to the bed. Now, they're called bunk beds, but evidently they're full steel. And I imagine there's a mattress on top of a solid steel plate. So there's not like any ring rungs or, you know, bars or anything like that, according to them. It's like fastened to the wall. And it's solid steel. And there's no way to tie anything off. That's what they're saying. I haven't seen a photo. We haven't seen a photo either, have we? We haven't seen anything of a picture of those cells. So so there's no way for him to tie it off. Now, this is what comes out, you know, immediately after just this first incident. So this is what we know, that there's no way for this to happen. Then we also have the story that, He's on suicide watch, but now we're told he's not on, he wasn't on suicide watch. Well, what changed? But then we go back to the story that his lawyers from the Tardioni's lawyer says, well, they, they never filed a complaint against my client. Mr. Tardioni was never charged in anything. There was no proof or any evidence that he roughed him up. So they didn't charge him with anything. So now we're left with a story that Jeffrey tried to hang himself, uh, tried to hang himself, and that was the reason for that first incident. Mr. Tarleone had nothing to do with it. 
Don't know. But what we do know is this. Jeffrey Epstein is claimed to have said that Tarlioni did it. And so that he didn't commit, try to commit suicide. That's the repercussion from that. So that's the reason, evidently, that we're getting because Tarlioni was moved out. Jeffrey was left there in himself. And we're told he was on suicide watch. But then we're found out, no, he wasn't on suicide watch. Well, reason why wasn't he on suicide watch, according to the things now? Well, because Mr. Tarlioni didn't. Um, Jeffrey said that Mr. Tarlioni did it. And so they used that excuse to claim that he didn't need to be on suicide watch. It was He didn't try to commit, commit suicide, but yet there were no charges against Tarlioni. So, you know, so that's, that's, we have inconsistencies, so many inconsistencies that it's just amazing. And I'm going to just give a few of them to let you know how many inconsistencies the media has reported and been reported in this case. And we all know that the fix is in. We all understand this. But going forward, those of you that can and will, spread the knowledge because we're we're pretty much facing a very strong enemy. We all know that. But when Epstein first came in, he said he was considering, he flew in, he was considering cooperating and naming names in his international sex ring. Two days prior to his death, documents leased for the first time implicated several top Democrats in his pedo ring. <coughs> he was taken off suicide watch after a failed attempt just two weeks earlier. <coughs> Sorry, that's my cold again. <coughs> well, was it a suicide attempt or did Tartaloni do it? He was in isolation. That is unusual for a suicide individual. Wait, he was taken off suicide watch. Which is it? The cameras malfunctioned. <coughs> there is no video. You know what? We had video of El Chapo, El Chapo when he got out of the Mexican prisons. <coughs> then we heard the guards didn't do rounds. Which is it? They didn't do rounds? Or did, or did he, or the cameras didn't work? Well, why was nobody checking on the cameras? I know a little bit about that. They should have been checking on cameras. You see a camera go down <coughs> on security? You're going to go check it. And they were supposed to do rounds. And they're supposed to be, if he's on suicide watch, which they now claim he's not because they have to cover it up, that he had to have somebody watching him the whole time. And if he's on suicide watch, and even if he's in this cell anyway, he wasn't supposed to have real sheets like you and I have. He was supposed to have what's called paper sheets. They're very thin. So, therefore, it's made to keep people in those cells to committing suicide. It's extremely rare for anybody to commit suicide in prison. It's very, very hard to do. In fact, it's a black eye on any institution that is housing a prisoner to have one commit suicide, because that's not supposed to happen. Which brings us to Michael Baden, or Baden, the forensic pathologist that was at the <clears throat> was at the autopsy in New York for the family 
you know bad and he's been in all the high profile cases he's this big expert right well worked like 78 to 79 in chicago or new york wherever it was big deal all right like a year and a half in a government job and he's an expert he's in all these big cases he's a person that chases the money and the fame and he's you know he delivers his message for whatever reason that he finds so Mr. Baden's there, and they have the autopsy, and then we got the controversy over the broken neck bone in there, the certain nut bone that is usually only broken when he's strangled. It doesn't get broken generally when it's hanging, and they used the thing. There was just the case in New York where there was a police officer that was let go because they said the guy uh, – uh, choked him out or broke his neck, you know, because he strangled him. He didn't do the chokehold properly. Well, the jury let him off. And the reason they let him off was because that bone was not broken. So he did not. So he, the bone has to be, it's only broken when somebody hangs themselves. This guy's bone was, uh, was not broken. So, so there's evidence that that alone, but yet the girl, the lady that does the thing says, well, she can't make a, she can't make a determination. <laughs> so there we go again. We just don't have enough evidence that we had enough evidence in this other case for a jury to let him go. And that's what you were saying. That's the reason you have to let him go. So there's no video. The guards didn't do rounds. The guards that were working there had worked several extra shifts last week. One prison guard was not even a certified guard there. The, fr- the guards forgot to check on Epstein. The prison guards slept through their shift. The guards did not check Epstein for several hours. There were reports of screaming the morning Epstein died. The Manhattan Correction Center had not seen a successful suicide in 40 years. Uh, Epstein said he was the victim of an attempted suicide weeks ago, but they didn't charge the victim. And then they said he wasn't on suicide watch and now he's dead because he was able to hang himself and with a sheet. And he's not supposed to have the sheets and there's not supposed to be a way to tie off at the top and not supposed to be a way to tie off the bed. They said he tied it off to the bed and was on his knees. Jeffrey was on his knees with a sheet around his neck, tied off to the bed, uh, the bunk bed. So it's sort of up high. And evidently he's leaning forward, hanging himself. But yet we hear he's screaming. Which is it? Does a guy that's trying to commit suicide and want to die start screaming? I mean, he's doing it himself. He's on his knees and he's hanging, you know, and he's got his arms. All he's got to do is, like, put his arms down, (laughs) push himself back up or try to raise himself. If he's got enough vocal cords to screaming, he's not actually cutting off the air to his body. None of this makes sense, folks. None of this. And he was not suicidal, according to medical professionals. Jeffrey had lawyers come into his cell every day. They would arrive in the morning and stay up to 12 hours to keep him basically company, I guess. So they were there, and they said he was in good spirits. And the last thing he said to them that night before he passed was, see him, see you on Sunday. Epstein's former roommate heard nothing, too. You know, all these people else, they didn't hear anything. Of course, they never do. You know, it's a prison. 
and he was on his knees. And he had his had broken bones in his neck, only common, only common in strangulation deaths. So now we have all these things coming out of the media, changing this, changing that. We don't get the truth. It's all entertainment. They're flipping you this way. It's just like watching a movie. Been on several. Like watching a TV show or a, a spy show or something Those Love them. Been on several. You know what? That's the way it works. There's ways you do this. And if you watch what's going on, it's like a script, in my opinion. You can see you don't know what's coming. But once it's there, you see, ah, okay. So now what you have to do, in my opinion, I'm not talking down to anybody, is that you have to start looking at what is there and then determine and then look at other sources and go to the sources and stay away from the mainstream media news. I know all of you enlightened people out there already do that. You know better. You watch it a little bit here or there just to sort of see what they're saying. We all have to sort of do that. I watch as little as I can. I check the major places on the net, and then I verify them, and I start doing my own research. I know enough about most of this stuff that I can go in, and I can look it up, and I can figure it out. Like I'm pretty good at looking photographs and telling you whether or not it it's it's crap. This is this is crap. There's there's no way this should be the photograph we're seeing. I mean, why are we looking at a photograph of this shooter that's like taken off of whatever and with all this herringbone and all this fog and all this other stuff? Why can't we see? Why isn't it clear? Uh, you know, we have the same thing with a, a lot of photographs going to the moon. Man, we got some of the most expensive cameras in the world with large format. Uh, sheets of film in them back in those days and man you can blow that stuff up <laughs> and, we're, and it's in color and we see black and white so this is a game they've been playing don't fall for it don't fall for it at all we are being manipulated we all know this so the thing to look for is look for the exit in the manipulation and i don't i don't say ignore it i think you ignore it at your own peril I pay attention to it because you have to know when you want to react or do something. By the time you react with what's coming down happens and then you start to think about what you need to do at that point and you haven't already seen it. And I'm not talking about long term prepping or anything like that. I'm talking about seeing something coming that's unusual in the news that doesn't fit the model you're now seeing, which is distraction, distraction, distraction. When you see distractions, they're pointing the other way. It's the, uh, look, moose, squirrel, right? Boris and Natasha. It's the same game that's been going on for years. And, and, and it's the same game. It's been going on. For years, it's, it's, it's well honed. They're very good at this. And we've all got to pay attention. And boy, two hours is a long time, Dennis. You're right. And I'm running out of stuff. But, you know, I'm going to go back because Jeffrey Epstein is that way. And let's go something else that, in the media that I, that I wrote down that was something there with the gun control going back there. You notice how Walmarts <clears throat> seem to be the place for all these guys to go. And this is another inconsistency that was in this Walmart shooting story. You know, we're told the guy um, went in there and then he drove from all the way from Dallas area to this place in El Paso to do this shooting. And nobody made sense. 
Well, I was going through all the headlines and everything, and I noticed I saw one that said that he was, uh, you know, he was going there on purpose, and that's where he wanted to be. And that's where, he, you know, and he had targeted it, and he'd been reading all this stuff, you know, about hate and all this stuff, and he had been planning it. Then I just read another headline from another major news article that says, oh, no, it was just luck. He was tired and hungry. He was lost. He didn't know where he was going, and he just went into the Walmart. I kid you not. It's like ABC and NBC or CBS or whoever. I don't have it written down here, but it was major people. And this is what we're hearing out of. Oh, he was this. And then we said, oh, no, he was lo- he was driving. He was tired. He was hungry. He didn't really know where he was. So he went into the Walmart to get something to eat. And he just happened to put on, you know, you know, a bunch of military gear and had some shooting glasses. Why are you putting those on in the first place? Good grief. And, uh, and you know, and he going in from outside heat into a Walmart wearing shooting glasses. I don't know if they're going to fog up or not, but they might. So, you know, I know my glasses generally do. So we've got all these inconsistencies and all these media events that happen immediately, and they come from all different networks and reporters. So we don't know what we're reading, and that's intentional. They're intentionally doing it, and they don't want you to hear anything good or uh, anything else. They want you to hear bad stuff, and they're going to keep trying to put the fear. It's fear porn. Nothing more than fear porn. And this is what's happening, and we have to put an end to it. You've got to not pay attention to it. You've got to almost, in a sense, we're pointing it out. We've got everybody. We go out and we show all these inconsistencies to everybody. But once we do it, that should be the end of it. And they're trying to make it pass. Jeffrey's gone. And by the way, why was Baden there, most likely, representing the 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 family at the autopsy let's say lawsuit jeffrey hanged himself in new york edmund he's been charged but he's not convicted guess who's gonna have a major lawsuit in new york jeffrey epstein's relatives of course new york as far as i'm concerned so you know what oh it's run by you know what type of mayor so I don't care. And then people are moving out of New York left and right. If you go look at the statistics, New York has more people leaving it right now currently than any other state in the union. People are bailing out of New York because of taxes and gun laws and all this other stuff. And the guns and gun sales go up after every one of these because people understand what it's doing. So that shows you that people are not buying it. We're winning. That's the other part of this argument. We're winning. That's why all this distraction's there. We still have to sort of point it out and show it to you. But it's not working. They're still doing it. They only have one trick, maybe two. They're not money because it's a one-trick pony show. So everybody, I will say, I know you missed the fetch, and I look look forward to him being back here very soon. I hope he's going to be back Saturday. If not, Blackbird, look for a call. But uh, <laughs> did you dodge it this morning? Anyway, because <laughs> I'm here. Uh, so anyway, uh, let's uh, let's all give Fetch a big hand for what he does every week out here doing this show. Because I'll tell you, it's one of the best shows on the internet. 
and I love it, and I like the Fetch, and the Fetch is my buddy, and I like to call him my friend. So Fetch, good luck to you. Here's your show back. Adios from Woody. Good night, everybody.